Good Friday, 3 p.m. Jesus dies a, a horrible death. Crucified, nailed to a cross. Three years of public ministry, feeding thousands of people, healing thousands more, being a sore spot to Israel's religious elite. All of this has come to a seeming close. The week's events, beginning with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, an entry not unlike a celebration which befitted a warrior returning from battle, had come to a grinding halt due to an ambush and arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Following a final meal with disciples, a meal which was accompanied by confusion and betrayal by one, Judas. But there was also words of encouragement and, and a prayer by Jesus on behalf of those who would follow Him not just that night, but throughout the history of the church. Jesus has died. And we read in Luke chapter 23 that the crowds who came together for this spectacle of the crucifixion, after watching what has happened, they begin to return home to mourn. And all of Jesus' acquaintances and the women who had accompanied Jesus from Galilee from the beginning of his ministry, they were standing at a distance watching all of this drama there's a man named Joseph, a good and righteous man, part of that religious council, but he's a good and righteous man, and he's from Arimathea, and he goes to Pilate, and he asks for the body of Jesus. Asks for the body, and Pilate releases the body of Jesus to Joseph, and Joseph takes down the body of Jesus, wraps the body in a, in a, in a linen cloth, and, and lays the body of Jesus in a, a tomb cut hewn from rock, and no one has ever used this tomb prior. Friday, this was a, a day of preparation for the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And there had to be burial preparation, but there was no time on Friday, and, and no time during, you can't do that on Passover, and so... These women, they return to their home to begin the preparation of the, of the spices and the perfumes so they can anoint the body of Jesus at the beginning of the week. So they return home, and then on the Sabbath day, because of the Sabbath, because of the commandment to honor the Sabbath, everyone rests on the Sabbath. And then we turn the page. Luke chapter 24 the first day of the week. At early dawn, this same group of women, the same group of women, they come to the tomb bringing these spices which they've prepared for the burial, for the anointment of the body, and they find the stone rolled away from the tomb. <laughs> they enter the tomb, and they do not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The body is not there. While they are perplexed, I love what Luke, how Luke 
captures all that emotion. While they are perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stand near them in gleaming clothing. And as the women are terrified, understandably, (laughs) they bow their faces to the ground, and the men, these heavenly messengers, say to the women, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? Just imagine hearing that question. Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? What sorts of things come to mind when you hear that question? These two men, these two messengers, they ask this question, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? And then they say, he is not here, for he has risen. For he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise from the dead. This group of women, they remember Jesus' words. And so they return from the tomb to the group there containing those 11 apostles and others. And they report all of these things to the 11 and to all the rest. And these women, they are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. Also other women with them were, were telling of these events to the apostles. So, so why does Luke take a moment and reveal the identities of these women? Well, this is the same group of women present at Jesus' crucifixion. These are not unknowns. They are known followers of Jesus. They've been with Jesus and and the apostles since the beginning of the ministry there in Galilee. These are credible character witnesses. But we find out, and this is a head-scratcher, that these words... The words of the women, they appear to the apostles as nonsense. As nonsense. They are not going to believe the women. So what about these apostles? Well, these are the ones who have walked most closely to to Jesus during those three years of public ministry. They've heard him preach. they've, They've heard him teach. They've seen him feed thousands. They've seen him heal probably more. They've seen him even raise others from the dead. And these ones are the closest to the things of God, and yet they're having the hardest time believing. You know, there are folks out there today who think that all of this is nonsense. And some of these folks... They've been around the things of God and the things of the church for a long time. The same thing happens today. A lot of long-timers in the faith, I think sometimes we forget that our God is a God of miracles. We forget the power of God to shatter sinful lifestyles. We forget that the Holy Spirit is still in the business of bringing new life and restoration to marriages, 
and homes and families, even churches, bringing the dead back to life. Skeptics want to discourage our beliefs and our faith. And that's what nearly happens in this account, but we see in verse 11, nevertheless. Nevertheless, Peter. (laughs) Peter. He gets up and he runs to the tomb. And he gets to the tomb and he, he stoops down and he looks inside the tomb and he sees the linen wrappings only. And Peter goes away to his home and he's marveling at what has happened. Nevertheless, nevertheless, thank God for those who say nevertheless. Despite all of the voices around me crying nonsense, be it in first century Jerusalem or 21st century here and now. Despite all of the voices crying nonsense, I'm going to see for myself. You know, that's faith. That's faith. That is willing to step out on faith in order to make the attempt to believe words that possibly sound too good to be true. Peter (laughs) runs to the tomb. He runs to the tomb. He arrives, he he bends down, and he looks inside. And Peter, he sees the linen wrappings, the death shroud, lying there in in the darkness of the tomb. The daylight inside is beginning to shift because of the the rising sun of the morning. And Peter probably just for a moment stops there and, and he probably feels a bit strange. And he and he turns to walk home. And as he's walking, Luke tells us that Peter marvels at what has happened. Amazement at what has taken place. Peter may be asking himself the same question which many of us have asked. Can I believe it? Can I believe this? Just imagine hearing that question. Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? What sorts of things come to mind when you hear that question? What kinds of things? These two men, these two heavenly messengers, these two angels, they ask the question. And at one level it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but... Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? I believe that this is a question which is still being asked today. 
To these women, this question is asked with specific regard to the whereabouts of Jesus. That moment of the here and now, that moment, that morning. And while we are not the women at the tomb on that first Easter morning, I believe that the same question is asked of us. You see, we're all looking for something. And I believe that we all have a tendency to look for life. We're all looking for something that will bring us life and will bring us hope, something that will bring us satisfaction, and if not satisfaction, at the, at the very least, relief. We're all in need of relief. Because so often the directions in which we're looking and the things to which or to whom we are looking are dead ends. Why are you and I seeking the living one among the dead? Why are we tempted to look for living things amongst dead things? Maybe, maybe we play old reruns in our minds in hopes of a, a different outcome of events in our lives. Maybe we go back to the land of the dead in hopes of finding something we accidentally left behind that might boost our hope in the future. Curious thing about the land of the dead. Easter's about life. Not the former things which have passed away. What kinds of things might you and I be seeking in the land of the dead? Later that afternoon, there are two disciples, and they're, they're traveling to a village named Emmaus, which is about six miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking about all the events of the past week. And while they're talking, they're discussing these things, Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, approaches them and he begins traveling alongside of them. You know, one traveler amongst two others. But their eyes are kept from recognizing Jesus. Jesus has a sense of humor. What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? Well, they come to a stop, and they look forlorn and sad. And one named Cleopas, he answers Jesus, <laughs> Are you possibly the only one living near Jerusalem who does not know about the things that are happening here in these days? Plug in, man! <laughs> Do you not know what's going on? And Jesus, what does he say? What sorts of things? <laughs> they say, 
those, those things about Jesus. Jesus the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and, and how the chief priests and, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he, it was Jesus, who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Did you catch what these two said we were hoping? We were hoping. You know, a lot of times we hope for things, don't we? We all know what it's like to hope for one thing or another. And a lot of times, we are disappointed, aren't we? We will always experience disappointment eventually when we look for things of life in the land of the dead. Because we don't, we don't understand. Like these two travelers... These two travelers, like so many others in that day, they envisioned Jesus, the Messiah, as a warrior king vanquishing Roman rule. And maybe we don't think in terms of Jesus leading a battalion, but maybe we envision Jesus acting on our behalf almost like a Santa Claus or a fairy godmother or a magic genie. And maybe, maybe we've dealt with disappointment. Maybe we have unmet expectations. kind of like those two travelers, they, they just knew. They just knew from the, their hearts. They just knew that, that Jesus would work in a certain manner according to their dreams and their druthers and their desires, their whims and their wishes. And, and so often we do the same things, don't we? We assume that the Lord will, will act on our behalf like a Santa Claus. And what happens when we ask Jesus for things that don't line up with who He is and His character? We end up disappointed. Because we miss the point of why Jesus came. Jesus came to deal with sin. Jesus came to deal with sin. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God the Father. Restoring us by taking our sins with Him to the cross. Jesus, the living one, came to bring you and me out of the land of the dead. He came to bring us new life. Jesus was resurrected on Easter morning in order to, to give us the opportunity to have new life now 
and eternal life for all time. (laughs) There's a few verses from now where Jesus reveals who he is to these two travelers. It's it's actually over the breaking of bread. On the way to one of their homes, Jesus began, begins to teach about who He is according to the law and the prophets, the Scripture which they read, which is a part of our Bible, the Old Testament. Jesus reveals to these two travelers who He is and why He came, the truth of His identity. That He wasn't coming to be a warrior king, or in our day, maybe a Santa Claus, but he was coming to save people from sin and from death and from hell. And he reveals that. And then later they they share a meal. He breaks the the bread, and they see him for who he is. And then he's gone. But that Easter morning when those angels, they asked the women, do you remember what Jesus said to you while you were in Galilee with him? The angels give this reminder, the Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. And then they remember. They remember the words of Jesus. See, Jesus gives his followers words of hope. Those same words which Jesus spoke to those women and those disciples when they began their ministry together in Galilee, those same words which Jesus spoke, those are the very same words which are spoken to us now through Jesus' living word, the Scriptures. About 20 years ago, I was a worship pastor at a church, and it was Easter Sunday, and we had done an Easter presentation, and we had had all these, uh, you know, we had drama and music and all this. It was a big, a big day, and um, of course, after church, you know, folks, they flee to their own homes and eat, and then I got a few of them back (laughs) to help me break down some of the sets. Uh, and, the, and this old pulpit furniture and these platforms, they must have come over on the ark because they were heavy, heavy wood. And they'd been around a while, and it, it really took an army of Goliaths to move them. But these, these two plus me were, were pushing and shoving and moving. And we were talking about events of the day. And of course, anytime you, 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 you do some kind of event at a church, not everything's going to go according to Hoyle. And, and there's going to be some snafus and some things. And And Larry, an old friend of mine, whom I think about every Easter, on on this Easter afternoon to me, with all of my stuff, this is what Larry said. Jake, Easter is about life. Don't forget that Easter is is about life. Friends, Easter is about life. Jesus came to bring life and came to bring it abundantly. You see, we live in the land of the dead. We deal with with death. We struggle with sin. We we get tired and exhausted of temptation. 
We're looking for relief. All of us. Everyone in this room this morning is looking for some kind of relief. God created a beautiful world for us to enjoy and to have fellowship with Him. But sin entered in. Sin entered in. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, sin changed everything. And it has invaded mankind, and it has even infested the ground. It's infested creation. You see, sin is serious stuff. Sin wrecks families. Sin wrecks relationships between friends. Sin impacts on local, state, federal, and international levels. Sin is real. But here's the good news of the gospel. And here's the good news of Easter. Jesus came to deal with sin. And when you and I allow Jesus to deal with our sin, Jesus will bring life and He will bring it abundantly. Amen. Why do the angels remind the women? Do you remember what Jesus said? The Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men. That's why He came. And to be crucified, He came to be a sacrifice, to pay a sin debt which we could not. Regardless of how good we want to try to be or how kind we want to try to be or nice or neighborly, which are all good things, but that's not going to erase our sin debt. Only Jesus can. And these angels remind these women... He had to be handed over. He had to be crucified. And on the third day, he would rise from the dead. (laughs) Because of Jesus dying on the cross on Friday and Jesus' resurrection on Easter morning, sin and death and hell are defeated. Amen. They are defeated. Not were defeated. They are defeated. They are defeated. Because of the power of the cross to defeat sin and death and hell itself. But because of Jesus both dying and being raised to newness of life on that Easter Sunday, that resurrection Sunday, because of his death and his resurrection, Jesus is now both the Lord of the living and the Lord of the dead. Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus has invaded our land of the dead and has brought us the opportunity to have resurrection life. How does one obtain resurrection life? When we begin to understand that we have a sin problem which we can do nothing about. We can be good and helpful and neighborly and and all these good things, but it does not deal with the reality that we are sinners. And once we confess our sin, and once we confess our need to have our sin forgiven, that's when Jesus, the Son of God, when He steps in, the one who went to, to the cross for us, the one who went to the tomb for us, the one who was resurrected to new life for us. And we believe on what He did. We confess our need for Him. We confess 
Lord, I want to have faith in what you've said you've done for me in your word. Jesus, you died to save me from my sin, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to turn from my sin. I want you to save me from my sin, and I want you to be the boss of me, the Lord of me. That's what that Lord means. The word Lord means, means boss. Resurrection life is available to all who will turn from sin. He's invaded, yes, He's invaded our land of the dead. He's brought us the opportunity for resurrection life. Jesus has come to have victory. We're all looking for something that's going to bring us life, going to bring us hope, going to bring us satisfaction, something that will bring us relief. We can find every one of those things in Jesus.